take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1, second in our series of Christmas characters. We looked at Mary last week and uh, lessons in willingness. Today we are looking at Joseph and lessons in righteousness. See what was going on in his life. Well, we know what was going on in his life. See how he responded to what was going on in his life. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 is our focal passage, but we're going to be looking at, uh, looking a little further on. We're going to work through a little bit of chapter 2. Uh, we may jump over to chapter 3. No, we're staying uh, in chapter 2, but we will jump to Mark quickly and Luke quickly, so, uh, you know, it's just, just a couple of books over, so you, you can jump with us there. Who was Joseph? Well, we looked at Mary. We need to ask the question, who was Joseph? Joseph, uh, we see his genealogy in the first part of Matthew chapter 1. He was, and I, I left the word likely in your slide, he was not likely of royal descent. He was of royal descent, but it was, as with Mary, meaningless at this time, meaningless as far as politics were concerned. It, it didn't grant him anything. He was just from Nazareth. He was just a carpenter. He was from the rural backwater town of Nazareth. You're going to notice a couple of things, some similarities. Mary and Joseph grew up in the same place, and they were the same little, from the same little nowhere town. Possibly he was much older than Mary. Uh, there's no guarantee of that. The only reason we think that's even a possibility is because after G Jesus is 12 years old, we don't hear of Joseph anymore. He's never mentioned. So it's assumed that he died uh, is the reason we don't hear of him past uh, uh, 12 years from, from now, where we are studying, 13 years from now. No guarantee he could have died at a young age. Uh, it could have just not been important to the, the narrative that the gospel writers were telling to include Joseph. Who knows, but it's possible he was much older. It, the fact that he was already a carpenter tells us that he wasn't the normal uh, 14 years old that uh, a man would have been betrothed to uh, a woman who would have been about 12 and a half or 13 years old. Uh, he seems to have already been established. So he could have been 18 or 19. Uh, he could have been much older. Who knows? One of the reasons that some speculate he was older is because they want to say that he had children. When it talks about Jesus' brothers and sisters, there are those that would say G Mary never had another child but Jesus. Uh, scripture doesn't back that up. Scripture backs up that they had children, Joseph and Mary had children, but some would say that didn't happen, therefore Joseph had been married before, which is why he was older. Jesus had uh, older uh, half-brothers and sisters. Scripture doesn't let us think that, I don't believe. So, either he was older, had never been married, but probably he was about 17 or 18 years old. Uh, that's, that's the best evidence uh, that we have, is that he was about four or five years older than her. Carpenter, um, nothing special about being a carpenter. It was, you know, it was just a job. 
just something they did. It, it had to be done. Everybody had some skill that they did, and his was being a carpenter. Again, just like Mary, he was a nobody. Uh, there was nothing, uh, nothing to impress you. There, there, he was no star athlete. He wasn't a manly man. He wasn't uh, a movie star. You, you wouldn't walk through Nazareth, best we can tell, and say, well, everybody here is kind of nondescript and uh, backwatery, but boy, I saw that Joseph fella. No, he was just a guy, probably a 17, 18-year-old. Nowadays, we'd say kid. Uh, then that was an adult, but still nothing special about him except, except what verse 19 says. He was a man of righteousness. He was a righteous man. Now, just like with Mary, it wasn't, he wasn't chosen because he was righteous. He wasn't chosen, just like the rest of us, because of anything he had done or was. God called him and he answered. Uh, as believers, when we are, uh, first come to Christ, Christ does not die for us because he owes us anything. We are, as humans, we are worthy of love from God. He loves us. He, he values humanity. But as far as earning that salvation, we don't. Jesus didn't die for us because he had to. God didn't send his son because it was required of him or it, we had in some way uh, earned that gift. But once we are his... Once we are made righteous, then we live out that righteousness. Joseph was a man who followed God. He was righteous, according to verse 19. Therefore, he's someone that we can learn from and model ourselves after. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the righteousness of Joseph. We're going to see five ways that he was righteous. And we're going to break those down a little bit. It's going to take us through chapter 2, into Luke, and into Mark, just like I, I said earlier. The first thing we see about Joseph, the first righteous characteristic of Joseph was his graciousness. He was gracious. Look at verse, uh, verses 18 and 19. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband... Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Joseph was gracious, number one. He was gracious, and when we see his graciousness in that little phrase in verse 19, not wanting to disgrace her publicly. Joseph had concern for Mary. But he was gracious. Now, we need to understand, in this situation, in this culture, in this climate, he had every right to disgrace her, up to and including stoning her to death. That was his right. That was the law of the day. He could have followed that law. Righteousness would have said that he did that. It would have required him to do that. But Joseph was gracious. Even though he was right to do it, he chose to be gracious and not do it. There are things 
brothers and sisters, that we may think are right. Are right even in our own eyes and maybe are ultimately the right thing to do according to a law, but they are not gracious. And if the law of Christ tells us that there is an alternative, then we must take it. Joseph had the alternative. He was concerned for her, not for himself. And so he chose to be gracious. Revenge, saving face, self-righteous attacks, these were not on his agenda at all. And they all would have been fully supported by the group of leaders in Nazareth. Had he come forward and said, I want to stone her to death for her adultery, there would have been a group of people in the town, and probably eventually most of the town, because the group tends to follow, that would have picked up the stones and stoned her. It was his right, and according to the law, it was the righteous thing to do. But Joseph chose not to, because his concern was not for himself. His concern was not what other people thought. His concern was for Mary, for the other person in this conversation. So he didn't seek revenge. He didn't seek to save his own face. He didn't seek to condemn her because the alternative would have been to claim the child. He could have been self-righteous and said, no, I will never marry a person who would do this sort of thing. And everybody there would have stood back and said, you are exactly right, Joseph, you show her. But Joseph was gracious, not wanting to disgrace her publicly. Hard steps take sometimes. We've all had situations where we have either felt we've been wronged or have been wronged, and we've often wanted to handle that publicly. Sometimes we do. And maybe it was the right thing to do and maybe it wasn't. But then there are other times when we wanted to and we were right. You were right. You had every right. But the gracious thing, according to the Lord, was to not do that. There's no small step. There's no easy decision to make. But remember, Joseph is, is righteous. And, and this righteousness we're talking about here is righteousness according to the law. He was a good follower of Yahweh. He did what he was supposed to do. If the, the book of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy said do it, he did it. If, if the prophets preached on it, he listened and he responded. If the wisdom writings were uh, led that direction and encouraged righteousness according to the law, then he lived that out. So he was a righteous man. There was turmoil at this point. I, as a Jewish husband, now am supposed to punish her for her acts of infidelity. I'm a righteous man. But what we see in this graciousness is a love and a concern for Mary. So what would I do, he, he would have been thinking. What should I do? So we see the second characteristic of Joseph, the second way he was righteous. 
he was upright. Now, uprightness carries that idea of following the law. Righteousness would be the umbrella term, but in what way was he righteous according to the law? Well, he was upright. He withheld the law. He followed the law. And that's the inner turmoil. That's the debate he's feeling. I am gracious, but I am upright. He was a man of honor. He was a man of obedience. He was a man of faith. And now in verse 19, we see that he has made a decision to uprightly follow the law. Look at the last part of verse 19. He decided to divorce her secretly. Now remember, he had the option to stone her. He had the option to divorce her publicly, bring her out to the city square, declare what had happened, what she had done, disgrace her, divorce her, and stop there if he wanted to, but continue on into stoning. But we see... In this phrase that his uprightness would not allow him to marry an impure woman. Just wouldn't do it. Couldn't do it. He had been faithful to his vows because, remember, at this point in their betrothal, they are married. As a matter of fact, at the, at the moment of betrothal, when she was 13, 12 and a half, maybe 13 years old, a, a contract was signed between the husband, and the, the future husband, the groom, and the father of the bride. And, and the, the bride price would be agreed on, and they would come to terms, and it might take a couple of months for the groom to meet the obligations. But until that point, they were engaged, and they were faithful to each other, and then once the bride price had been met, once the obligations had been met by the groom, then they were considered married in every way except her going to live with him. They were married, but still lived, she still lived at home. And that seems to be where we were, where we are in their journey when he finds out she's pregnant. He has uh, done everything he is supposed to. He has fulfilled his obligation. They are married so that we come to the point where now for them to not live together is divorce. That's the only step that's left. And his uprightness would not allow him to bring this type of person, in his mind, what he's thinking, based on the evidence he has, we've not done anything, and yet she's pregnant. Something happened. Based on that, he can't bring her into his home. His uprightness then prompted him to fulfill the law, while also being gracious. And it was such in this day that you could do that. Joseph, uh, the, rather the law had developed over the years that he could divorce her quietly. Basically, he would just have to, in front of a couple of witnesses, write out a statement of divorce. I'm divorcing her, this is why, there's a witness, there's a witness. They sign it, boom, it happens. And he could have done that in a house somewhere privately, not in front of other, any other people. There would have been no stoning, and the divorce would have been official, final. She would have gone probably back to live with Elizabeth, 
left town so that she would have left her shame. Everybody would have felt sorry for Joseph. They would have patted him on the back, say, well, maybe it'll work out better next time. And it would have been the end of it. And Joseph, as an upright follower of the law, went that direction. I'm going to follow the law, but I'm going to be gracious. Of course, we know that that's not where the story ends, right? We keep going. In verse 20, it says, But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her. Characteristic number three of Joseph that shows us his righteousness is he was obedient. Joseph was obedient. When he got the whole story, when he finally knew the truth, not that he had been told lies, he just didn't know the whole story. And when he finally got the whole story straight from the Lord and got his command from the Lord, Joseph was obedient. He follows God's commands. Verse 24, he married her. Probably in Greek... Two words, maybe three, not a long sentence at all, and yet it carries such weight. Because he follows God's commands despite common sense. Verse 24 would tell us that, uh, or, or imply to us that he didn't have to. We know that. We know he could have divorced her. Common sense and culture says divorcer common sense says that's not my kid i don't have to raise this kid i don't have to have this responsibility i don't have to walk through town and have people wonder well maybe it is his kid he sure did marry her common sense said divorce her but god said marry her and god's command carried the day See, God rarely abides by what, by what we would deem common sense. God rarely says to us, whatever you think is the best idea, that probably is, so do it. Whatever common sense says, go that direction. It, did, it was not common sense to leave uh, Ur. For Abraham. It was not common sense for Noah to build a boat in the middle of the desert when it had never rained before. It was not common sense for the prophets to lay next to a, a, a model of the city and yell at it. It was not common sense for disciples to throw their nets to the ground and follow Jesus when he said go. It was not common sense for Paul to hang around in cities where they wanted to kill him. 
but he did anyway because of the gospel. It was not common sense for John to find hope while he was dying on the island of Patmos as a 90-something-year-old man and to see heaven opened up. It was not common sense for him to rejoice and say, so be it, Lord, come quickly. We don't find common sense in Scripture. We find godly sense. And when we look at Joseph and we hear his response, we don't sit back and say, hmm, makes sense. We say he was obedient. He was obedient, jo Joseph was, despite the unknown. If we fast forward through the story a little bit, verse 25, uh, they name him Jesus. After he was born in Bethlehem, a couple of years old, he was, Jesus was probably a toddler, the, the wise men show up. We learn about Herod wanting to, to kill him. Verse 13 of chapter 2, after they came, or after they were gone, the wise men were gone, an angel, excuse me, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. Verse 14, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. Joseph was obedient despite the unknown. Likely he was not a well-traveled individual. Probably his trip to Bethlehem from Nazareth was one of the first big trips he had ever taken, given the culture, given his uh, status, his socioeconomic status. He may have gone to Jerusalem a few times on pilgrimage, but beyond that, that was all he would have done, most likely. Even if he had traveled a little more around his area and been through a few towns and seen a few things, Egypt probably was not on his bucket list. He wasn't thinking, man... Jerusalem's nice, but if we could only see Egypt, chances are that was not part of his long-term plan. Yet, despite the unknown of what Egypt held, Joseph, verse 14 of chapter 2, got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. Something I read a few years back that just kind of blew me away. I hadn't thought of it this way. The gifts that the wise men brought very likely financed their trip to Egypt. I'd never thought of it. He didn't have the money to travel to Egypt. He, 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 was, he didn't have the resources to do that, but wise men show up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense being fairly common, myrrh being a high-priced uh, oil, and gold, well, it was gold. And he now had the resources that he didn't have the day before to make the trip that he didn't know about until tonight. God provided for his obedience. Despite the unknown, Joseph was able to make the trip. And then for, uh, the third obedience, uh, or the third, uh, he, he was obedient thirdly despite ridicule. Skip ahead a little bit more to verse 23. Well, uh, let's do a little uh, background here. Verse 19, Herod dies. Verse 20, uh, uh, the, an angel appears to, to Joseph, says, Get up, 
go back to Israel because Herod's dead. So he got up, took his mother. But when he heard that Archelaus, a new ruler, was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was warned in a dream, went to Galilee and settled in a town called Nazareth. Joseph went back home. Now remember, they had gone to Bethlehem, had the baby, and chances are they never intended to go back to Nazareth. They made a home in Bethlehem. It just made sense for them to do so. There was no reason to go back to Nazareth. Why would you want to take your wife and baby that everybody in Nazareth now already knows isn't yours, or maybe it is, <laughs> why would you want to go back to that? Mary, let's make a home in Bethlehem. Good deal. And so that's probably where he was headed. He was going back to Bethlehem, and from Egypt he would have uh, likely uh, passed through Jerusalem, and that wasn't going to work. So they went home to Nazareth, to all the people that knew the truth. Despite the ridicule, despite the unknown, and despite common sense, Joseph was obedient. You know he had a lot of arguments. Good arguments in his head about why that was not a good idea. Lord, no, I, this next, really, this, another dream? You, you, you almost, I, I would get the idea that Mary wakes up most mornings going, you haven't had another dream, have you? And most days, Joseph's going to say, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> No more dreams. Whew, glad that's over. Go to Egypt. <laughs> no more dreams, right? No, we're in Egypt. We're good. Go home. <sighs> okay, we're going back to Bethlehem. Another dream. Mary's like, Joseph, could you just not go to sleep, please? Could you stay awake all the time? And they end up in Nazareth. Joseph was obedient fourth characteristic of righteousness we see with Joseph is self-control. Go back to verse 25, and uh, this one is delicate, so I'm going to try to be. Verse 25 says, he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Joseph put off the honeymoon, okay? Wink, wink. Joseph didn't do what would have come naturally after the wedding. And, and this is an often overlooked characteristic of Joseph. We, we breeze through that passage as if, well, of course. Well, no, not of course. Not of course at all. This was a big deal. First of all, it's no small feat for a husband. A 17, 18, 19-year-old who has lived righteously his entire life. Waited for that wife to come along. Waited for the honeymoon. And practically, not, not just emotionally and all that went into that, practically in this culture, you wanted to have children, many children, early and often. Because it was necessary for the business, for the, for the home, for the farm. But Joseph showed self-control. Now, why? Well, there's a, an element of obedience here. There's him doing what he was told. But what, what was the broader reason here? What was the purpose for the Lord uh, commanding this? 
we, we assume there was a command here. It removed all possibility that Joseph could have been the father. When the time came to give birth, and especially when they went back to Nazareth, folks could say, well, see, it's Joseph's. He married her anyway. It's got to be Joseph's. And if he wanted to be, uh, get into some details, he could have said, nope. Well, y'all have been off together for years. Nope. Didn't happen. Not mine. And I'm okay with that. Joseph showed self-control. And I, I believe there was self-control here as, as we see this self-control that, that bubbled over into other areas of his life. I believe we, we can assume self-control when the Lord did give a command that was a hard command. I mean, this is early. This is early on. This is for a few months. This is before the wise men came and before the command to go to Egypt and the, before the command to go home and then before the command to not go to Bethlehem but to Nazareth. So this self-control that he obviously had led to immediate obedience. The Lord said, do this, and I'm doing it. Joseph had self-control. Fifth, Joseph was trustworthy. Joseph was trustworthy. God could give him a command. God could call him to something, and Joseph would fulfill it. Joseph would do what he was, was told to do. Joseph was devoted to his calling. That was his trustworthiness. He, he could be counted on when the time came. The slide's not moving forward, so you just have to believe me. He was devoted to his calling. Joseph, number one, he cared for Jesus as his own. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 48. Luke chapter 2, verse 48. Jesus is about 12 years old. They're uh, in the temple for the Passover festival. Jesus has gotten uh, to where he's talking to the priests, sitting down, having a conversation. They're amazed at his abilities, at his learning. Joseph and Mary and the rest of the family leave, thinking Jesus is right there with them somewhere in the crowd. They didn't ask too many questions, didn't feel they needed to. At 12 years old, he's practically a man anyway. So they leave. Joseph, uh, Jesus is still there. Three days later, they realize he's not there. Three days later, they find him in the temple, sitting among the teachers. And verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us? Like this, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I want you to notice the pronouns used and the descriptors. When his parents, plural, saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching. Searching for you. 
Jesus was 100% Joseph's son. Not biologically. He knew he wasn't his biological child. But when it came to raising Jesus, he was his son. His, his father, who his father was, didn't matter to him. I mean, it mattered. I don't give that. God was his father, so that really, really matters, right? But he, he wasn't thinking, well, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to raise this child. I don't have to care for him as my own. At this point, he probably had seven or eight other children that he could call his own with all the incumbent worries and cares. Look, son, why have you treated us like this? We have been, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. We would have said, we have been out of our minds with worry. We, your father, Joseph. And it wasn't just, I heard a comedian say that, uh, you know, Joseph's worry was because I just lost God's son. You know, might be a little of that in there, of course. You, you, you were watching someone else's precious child or thing or animal and that gets away, you lose it. You're, that's not even mine, that's somebody else's. There could have been some of that, but I don't think so. That, that's, that's, not, that's not the way, it's funny, but it's not the way it's phrased. Your dad, your father, we, us. Joseph was as worried about losing his son as Mary was about losing her son. He was devoted to that calling. He cared for Jesus as his own. Verse 52 of Luke chapter 2. 2.52, just skip down a couple of verses. He raised Jesus right. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Why did he do that? How did he do that? He was raised by a dad who loved him who trained him the right way. Joseph was the spiritual leader of the home. Dads, you are spiritual leaders of the home. And Joseph had God's son as his son. This dude who at 12 years old is in the temple talking to the priests and mystifying them at his knowledge. And yet Joseph still, as the father, led his family and raised his children correctly by investing time and scripture in them so that Jesus increased in wisdom. Because he had a dad who raised him, a dad who was devoted to the calling that God had given him. He had a trustworthy father and then next book of the bible mark chapter six i'm sorry go back i get things wrong like that all the time don't stone me mark chapter six verse three go back a book not forward a book mark chapter six verse three we see no favoritism for this incredibly special son. Chapter 6, verse 3 of Mark. Isn't this the carpenter? They're talking about Jesus. Jesus is older. He's in his ministry now. He's in Nazareth, his hometown, where everybody knew him. Clearly, everybody knew his mom and daddy, knew his mom and him. And it says, isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him, it goes on to say. But that's not the part we're focusing on this morning. The people of Nazareth knew him. 
They knew him as the carpenter. Because Joseph had just raised him to be a man and to take on the family business. I mean, how do you raise the Son of God? There are some great Christmas songs out there that, that ask this question in a number of different ways. And one of them is, I, I think the phrase is, how do you raise the Son of God? And, and, and that would be a question I know Joseph asked. I mean, we as parents, and I'm sure those of you who have been parents, ask the same question. And, and you ain't got the Son of God, and neither did I. But we ask, how can we raise these kids? How, my life's a mess. Why do I have kids to mess up? How do, I, how do I do this? How do I raise them right? And, and we just, by the grace of God and by study of his word and lots of prayer, we raise them. We trust the Lord to lead us. And we teach them what we know. Joseph could not teach Jesus to be the son of God. Right? I, you know, I don't know how the conversations went, but if Jesus came and said, Daddy, pretty sure later on I'm going to have to do some miracles. Can you show me? Is it how you hold the hands? Is it what you say? No, uh, but you, you know how to hammer a nail? I can't. I can do that, like what, no hand, I'm good. I jest, of course, but Joseph couldn't raise the son of God. Joseph raised the son of Joseph, and that's all he was called to do. And so he raised a man that followed in his footsteps, that followed in his family business, that was raised to represent the family name well. Look at verse uh, 3 again. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. Now, the town was offended. The, the town thought that Jesus had gotten away from how his daddy had raised him. I believe that if, if we had Joseph's account here, if, if he were still around or if it was important to put it in here, we would have heard from him, I raised my son to be my son, to be the son of Joseph. Jesus bar Joseph is how they would have said it. But I've known all along, he wasn't my son. He wasn't mine. So when his father calls him, when his father empowers him, when his father trains him or whatever happened, however it worked out in the life of the incarnate Son of God on earth to where he came to the point where it was time for him to start his ministry. Whatever occurred in there, I believe Joseph, if we had something recorded from him, would say, that is how I raised my son. To be... Obedient, to be upright, to be gracious, to have self-control. And I think, just like any other parent, Joseph would have said, I did my best, 
in any way that he is better than I raised him? Well, that's his heavenly father. That's his influence on him. I can say the same thing. I raise my sons to be certain things, and my daughter, my children, to be certain things. And we expect certain things from our kids, just like the, the rest of the parents in here. And we, we, have, uh, we have our own cultural norms, we have our discipline, we have our joys, but we raise them to be certain things. We have in mind what we want our kids to be, right? And, and maybe it's something specific, maybe not, maybe the, it's generally good, we want these characteristics, but you know, we're not raising necessarily a football player or a basketball player or a musician or whatever, we're not thinking that's what they have to be, we're just thinking we want them to follow Jesus. And in any way we have succeeded, really that's just the grace of God, but in any way they surpass our raising, any way they are better than us, and I know there will be a lot of ways my children are better than me, and I'm thankful for that. But in any way that they are better than us, that's the grace of God. I can hear Joseph saying that to these people that are saying of their children, of his child, we're offended by your son. I don't have any proof in here that Joseph was a fighting man. But going after somebody's children will make a man who doesn't fight, fight in a hurry. Joseph was probably more righteous than some of us, huh? So what's our takeaway here? What do we see for us? Lessons in righteousness. Our reach for righteousness. Brothers and sisters, we must be gracious. We must respond above our impulses. It means we don't get to fight sometimes. It means we need to respond as the Lord would lead, not as our flesh would lead. We must be upright. We must live by God's standards, which kind of throws us back to that gracious. My impulse is to do one thing. God's standard is to do something else. And as we follow Christ, we find that the standards are always gracious. The standards are always right. Like Joseph, we must be obedient. We must do what God says. We must hear his call, his word, and be obedient to it. If we're not, we are not living the life of righteousness. We must be self-controlled. Gracious, respond above our impulses. Upright, live by God's standards. Obedient, do what he says. Self-control means that those days that we don't want to do what he says, we control ourselves, and we do. And lastly, trustworthy. If we have been self-controlled, if we have been obedient, we are upright and we are gracious, then we will fulfill our commitments to God and to man. And God will use us. God will 
lead us. God will guide us, and we will see great things done in our day as God works through us. See, I, now, our reach for righteousness, right? The thing is, our reach for righteousness is stop cold. Because Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, went and put this verse in the Bible that says, there is none righteous. No, not one. So how do we reach for righteousness? Well, we are declared righteous. We reach for it. We, we strive to be Christ-like. We strive to, to be gracious, upright, obedient, self-controlled, and trustworthy. But we cannot do that on our own, by our own strength. Though we strive to live those lives of righteousness, righteousness only comes when we pursue God's original design. God's original design was a relationship with him. And it was ruined in the Garden of Eden. And then we daily ruin it ourselves, and we have since Adam and Eve. Sin is what ruins God's design. Sin is what keeps us from having that relationship with him. And that sin leads to brokenness, leads to a life that doesn't, that isn't gracious and obedient and trustworthy and self-controlled. It isn't what it's supposed to be. And every time something breaks, it causes something else to break. Isn't that the way of it with our cars? If you don't get the little thing fixed later on, you have a big thing to fix. That's the way life is. And there's nothing good about brokenness, we say, until that brokenness leads us back to God. Leads us to Christ. And we leads us to the gospel. The gospel that says, you can't fix your brokenness, but I can. The gospel says, that says, believe in Jesus Christ. Trust in him as your savior. Repent of your sins. That Jesus who died on the cross, who lived the perfect life prior to that, that died on the cross, then rose on the third day to prove not only that he could forgive your sins, but that he could conquer death. And once we repent and believe and we trust him, like Joey has done, like many in here have done, we recover and pursue God's design again, that design of a relationship with him. And then we tell other people about that relationship. And then we get to truly pursue, reach for righteousness, that righteousness that comes only in Christ. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you do guide us, that you do Continue to spur us on to reach for righteousness. But Lord, I thank you this morning that every reach for righteousness from an unbeliever is met with a brick wall and, and a broken hand or, or nose or however whatever runs into that wall first. And that brokenness calls us back. And says, you can't do it. You can't be righteous without me. And so, the unbeliever turns to Jesus. And trusts him as their savior. Repents of their sins. Gives their life to Christ. And then we celebrate a new saint. A new child of God. This morning, Lord, for the believers here. 
May we reach for righteousness, taking our lesson from Joseph. Lord, for unbelievers here this morning that maybe are still wondering about this news, wondering about this gospel, they'll ask the questions that are necessary, but Lord, they will respond in faith today as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.